Hey, hashtag biz with the beard podcast fans. You may have noticed that the beard has gone pink. Well, there is a reason why we are going pink through the end of October. And that is because we are an ambassador for the Real Men Wear Pink 2020 campaign to help the American Cancer Society raise money to help fight breast cancer. So why do I wear pink? I think we all can agree that cancer sucks. Breast cancer especially sucks because it affects everyone. If you were like me, you probably know of someone who has had it, fought it, survived it, or unfortunately has lost their battle with this awful disease that affects millions of women. Recently, some very dear friend and family members were diagnosed with it. I have also had several friends die from cancer. And that is why I'm stepping up and asking you to step up as well to fight breast cancer with all that we got. So help me make a difference by supporting my Real Men Wear Pink campaign by hitting the listener support button on our podcast page at anchor.fm biz with the beard or go to my personal American Cancer Society Real Men Wear Pink campaign page at www.main.acsevents.org slash go to slash curfew c-u-r-p-h-y donate one dollar five dollars ten dollars one hundred dollars or even one thousand dollars and help me fight breast cancer every day the american cancer society is saving more lives for breast cancer than ever before they're helping people take steps to reduce their risk of breast cancer or find it early when it's easier to treat they provide free information and services when and where people need it the most they fund groundbreaking breast cancer research and they're working to ensure access to mammograms for women who need them so help me step up and wear pink with the beard now through october and donate to this needy cause thank you and have a successful day shameless, unapologetic, and raw. This is another episode of the Hit Business Podcast, hashtag biz with the beard. This is business as you've never heard before. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I'm your host, the guy who has two jobs, growing beards and knowing things. I am the beard, Kerfee Smith. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. And joining me today is a very special, intelligent, and extremely talented guest who resides in the Golden State of California, where more people listen to us than any other place in the world. She is an award-winning director of the documentary films at Finish Line Features. She's 
her most recent film, Bias, delves into unconscious bias and how it affects our lives socially and in the workplace. She was a TEDx speaker in 2019 on the likability dilemma for women leaders. Her film Code, Debugging the Gender Gap, premiered at Tribeca Film Festival in 2015 and screened at the White House. She has been featured in international publications including Forbes, Fortune, The New Yorker, and The Atlantic, and has appeared on Bloomberg TV, CNN, NPR, CNBC, and many more. She is a diplomat for the American Film Showcase and speaks about unconscious bias, the importance of diversity and inclusion, and on behalf of women's rights at U.S. embassies, conferences, and corporate headquarters worldwide. Currently, she is working on Savvy, a film about women and financial wellness. I am pleased to have on Hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast, Robin Hauser. Welcome to the Hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast. Well, thank you, Kirby. It's great to be here. I'm so glad you're here because we are going to be touching on a very, I think, a very important subject and can get a little bit sensitive. So again, and I think we have the best guest to speak about this uh, with you being here. So again, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before we get into the show and what we're going to talk about, I want to say thank you to all our listeners. I, I'm truly grateful and humbled by the amount of people um, that listen to the show, share it, comment, you know, and whatever. Uh, as I said, it's humbling because when you do something like this, you put yourself in a very vulnerable position, right? It takes a lot of courage to put your face, voice, opinions, your art out in the world. And I highly, highly respect people who do that, whether I agree with them or not. And um, the type of responses that we've been getting have been overwhelming, and I appreciate the feedback from my fans, and even the negative feedback. It's, it's a truly blessing, and it's very useful to me. Um, when, when I started this with my partner, I had no, just no idea how to do this. And the format at the beginning was, well, we just, we just kind of winged it. And it's changed, evolved, and I, just, I appreciate all the fans and the guests who listen and have come on and helped me shape this show. I really love doing this, and I wanted to say thank you, and whether you like me or not, listen or not, um, I really don't care. I'm going to keep pushing this stuff out there uh, because there are a lot of positive comments that keep me going, and when I get people that tell me the value they receive from the show, that, that's, that's what matters to me. Uh, we got one particular comment uh, from our Instagram messenger page, and the guy said, hey, Beard, I've gotten so many amazing ideas from your podcast, only a new listener, but look forward to following. So shit like that, 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 that's why I keep putting stuff out there. So thanks to everyone who listens. It's generally appreciated. Keep listening, keep sharing, keep us growing. Blah, blah, blah. So with that, Robin, when you first started in film, how nervous were you? And are you still nervous when you put your artwork, you know, and your films out there to the world? And does it bother you to receive negative crit criticism? Oh, boy. The, the first time... At the world premiere of my first film, which was called Running for Jim, about a high school running coach who had Lou Gehrig's disease, absolutely, I was terrified. I was really nervous. I think that, as you said, when you put yourself out there, um, anytime you're, if you're a writer or a filmmaker, or if you do a podcast, if you're an artist, a painter, anytime you're putting something out there into the world that comes from so much passion and um, just personal grit, I feel like you're exposing um, a really intimate part of yourself. And yeah. so 
you know, audience reaction to that, um, you know, are they going to laugh where I intended for something to be funny? <laughs> do, they, do they laugh right. in the part of the film where I didn't intend for it to be funny, you know? So I think all of those things are, um, I think it's very natural, but the answer to your question is absolutely. I get nervous before, uh, you know, the first time that I'm showing a film in public. Even today, even after you've done so many, you still get nervous. Yeah, well, for example, you know, I made a film that came out in 2018 called Bias, yeah. and it's a film about unconscious bias. And um, because I am a privileged white woman and I grew up in a very privileged um, environment in San Francisco, I decided, you know, who am I to be making this film about unconscious bias unless I'm willing to put myself in sort of uh, to be vulnerable. Right. And so... In that film, I expose my biases, or at least two of them. Um, really? Yeah, I take the implicit association test on camera, and oh. I show that I have a strong association for, um, I have a strong association of black Americans and harmful objects, as opposed to white Americans and harmful objects. And, and you know, that's embarrassing, and it's especially embarrassing to show that in public, right? Yeah. I'm not alone in that bias no. at all. Um, but I think the fact that I, you know, and, and then the even more surprising one was that I show a strong association with women and family versus men and family. And I show a stronger association with men in careers than I do with women in careers. And that mm. also was the result of an implicit association test. Now, you know, as a feminist, and I say that in the best modern day feminism <laughs> right. definition, I, guess uh, so. I was surprised. I was, you know, I'm embarrassed that I had those implicit, implicit associations um, because obviously I, I believe a woman can be, or she, you know, if she wants to be in the working world as much as a man is. Right. Well, you know, and it's not, I mean, and, and gosh, and, and I, and I wasn't going to go around this direction at all, but, you know, especially with the last six, seven months, we've, we've been really, uh, sensitive uh, to some issues out there regarding race and, and what have you. And, you know, one of the things I always believed is, you know, we all want to be better, right? But we do have bias in there. And I think a lot of that's based on how you're raised. And it's not, you know, that anybody was done, doing anything intentionally. And we all intentionally want to be better and do the right thing. Um, but you're molded as a child growing up. Uh, and, and it's been that way through the beginning of time. You know, especially with this, you know, when I was talking about white privilege and, you know, I said, yeah, we, I have white privilege. It is what it is. I, I didn't like, I'm not mad about it or mean about it. I'm, I'm trying to put it in a different t text, but it's like, you know, yeah, or I don't have issues that other people are going to face just because based on the color of their skin, not of mine. And that's all right. But as long as you understand that and you're trying to do something about it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just, yeah. A, it's, it's very interesting. But so I would say that. I think it's optimistic to think that everybody cares about the, the impact that they have on the world. I, I don't know if I agree with you there. I think that most people probably that you and I would want to hang out with do care about what type of uh, impact their actions have on the world. But sadly, I think there are people out there that kind of don't care. But if you if you talk about implicit bias, you act absolutely like they right. care. Those are the yeah. ones that really bug me. Right. But it's, it's those of us that want to live on sort of a, a, a conscious level that care about society, that care about, um, you know, how other people are impacted by our actions. Mm -hmm. So think about unconscious bias 
it, bias stems from a survival heuristic that we have as humans. Pretty much any being with a brain is going to have biases. Why? Yeah. Because we learn from experience. So once you've learned from an experience, if you, you know, touch something hot and you got burned, you then hopefully are going to learn to be cautious or careful when you touch something that's hot, right? So if you take this into sort of biases and if we have been taught through, you know, societal messaging, for example, that something is dangerous or that, um, you know, something is is odd or different than us, if something's outside of our in-group, then naturally – as a survival heuristic, we are taught to be cautious. Now, yep. the question is, how is that useful in the modern day world, right? We don't live in tribes where we're super, it's so much anymore. I mean, we try to live in a more diverse society now. So, Do you think so? We, I mean, I think that we're, try, we're striving to. I think right? certain areas, yeah, I think you're right. But it, I think, and, and going back to what I said earlier, I think that pe- some people claim it, but then their actions don't prove it. Well, that's right. right. Now, obviously, there are very segregated parts of society, right? But we're not we're we're no longer living in tribes, you know, where we're, you know, throwing spears across the the river (laughs) at at people that that look different than we do. Right. Um, But the fact that we as human beings tend to stereotype and categorize people that are different from us is a very natural thing to do. But that shouldn't be an excuse, right? That shouldn't be an excuse for why, you know, you would hire a team of all people that look like just like you. Say like Ron Valley started out that way, right? I mean, that shouldn't be an excuse for that. It's why it's easier to do that. There's something called like me bias. Well, it's super easy to hire people that are like you because that's who you feel most comfortable with. But is that the best decision for your company? Probably not. You got my juices flowing. I'm so excited about today's show. I, I mean, this is great. You're, you're so educated in this. I'm just, I, I can't wait to get going. So before we get going, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I'm an ambassador this year for the Real Men Wear Pink campaign with American Cancer Society. And I'm doing this because, you know, in my mind, breast cancer has affected many of my friends and family. Uh, and quite frankly, just breast cancer sucks. So before we get into the show, I need your help and all my listeners' help. And here's how they can do that. I need all my listeners to go to our podcast page at anchor.fm slash bizwithabeard and hit listener support. Uh, that's where they could donate you know, as little as a $1 or up to $1,000, uh, whatever they want at the listener support button. And I'm going to be donating 100 of my proceeds, 100% of my proceeds from the listener support button for the month of September and October to the Real Men Wear Pink campaign and the American Cancer Society. Now, if you want to know, donate directly to the campaign, all I have to do is go to my Real Men Wear Pink campaign page through the American Cancer Society and donate directly to the campaign. And that address is main.acsevents.org slash go to slash curfew and curfew spelled c-u-r-p-h-y um you can donate as little like i said as, as little as you want or as much as you want but no we do need your help that's all i gotta say about that robin how are things in california right now uh smoky yeah Still smoky it's, huh it's getting better it's getting better i actually escaped to park city utah um, I'm lucky to be able to, you know, work virtually, um, because I'm not filming just at least not this week. So I've escaped to Utah, but, but California is a mess right now. I mean, I really, I love that state. It's, it's where I'm from, but, um, boy, it's, it's a mess. Again, I'm glad you came on. Uh, cause again, you're an expert in extremely sensitive topic and, uh, 
like I said, given the current, even past, you know, environments in our society, I'd say in the last 20 years, uh, this is kind of, you know, classified a little bit controversial um, because and I think a lot of times how it gets politicized, uh, which is unfortunate. I'm sure you and I are going to both, probably more me, offend some people when we talk about this topic, but that doesn't bother me because I feel we don't talk about it enough. Therefore, we have a lot of misunderstandings. And, you know, when I met you and we talked, I was like, yeah, I want to do this because I don't think this is a topic that I see a lot that's out there and it needs to be talked about more. When I was thinking there's something weird, you know, when I'm looking at my show, I, I started looking at my analytics, right? I was looking at it and I know you haven't listened to my show a lot, but you know, 66% of my listeners are men. And I was thinking, man, is there something we're doing wrong? You know, and I, cause I don't want that. Uh, but just how you may mention it, that unconscious bias, maybe I am trying to hit listeners that are more like me. Right. And, and I'm doing that. Maybe I'm doing that just because my title of my show, right. Hashtag biz with the beard. Well, you know, women don't have beers, what have you. And I kind of went back and I said, do I not have enough women guests on my show? And actually the very first guest was a woman. And we've had some very powerful women on the show. Um, Christine Deering, who owns the eight figure business, uh, bump boxes. Um, she's a CEO, Shay Robottom, the uh, queen of LinkedIn is a very good friend. Uh, international uh, digital marketing director, Olga Dranko from SEM Rush. Um, so we've had some very influential women, but then I look at it and I go, well, you know, we've had 31 shows where we've had guests and 30% of those have only been women. So maybe that just kind of, it's just the analytics. It's because that's what I have. Maybe I need to have more women guests, make it more even. Given your opinion, am I being biased? Is there an unconscious bias you think that that's causing this? And I know you haven't heard the show, but just looking at my, you know, the logo, you know, my voice and the beard. What do you think? I mean, you can be honest with me. Well, I mean, because that's how I'm going to improve, right? right? I haven't listened. I haven't listened to enough of your podcast just to to think or to be able to comment on whether the podcast itself tend to, you know, maybe marginalize your female audience. But I, I mean, sure, biz with a beard. Probably, uh, if somebody's just scrolling down and looking at all the different podcasts, that's probably not one that they necessarily feel included in, right? Because right. Right. So, you know, was that intentional on your side to try to keep sort of make this just sort of a, you know, a, a men's discussion group? Um, you know, probably not. But the unintended consequences of naming, you know, a podcast mm -hmm. is with a beard probably does uh, to a certain extent, you know, marginalize your, your female audience. Um, so but, why did you come on? Um, I came on because I like a challenge and because, nice. and because I, I talked to you beforehand and thought this was interesting. I also love male audiences. I mean, for yeah. me, it's one of my favorite audiences. Um, I really do. And, and yes, I do. A lot of my work is about female empowerment, but if I'm speaking to a group of men who are, you know, emotionally available and who really care and just sort of want to learn or want to open themselves up to a different perspective or to, or have empathy. I, I, that's my favorite audience. Yeah. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here. And it's, you know, I'm constantly right. I, I'm in business. I'm constantly looking for improvement, no matter what the process is, what have you, I'm constantly trying to make things better. And we're trying to get down to the root cause of issues. And so I might ask a lot of questions today uh, where I just keep pushing and hopefully I don't come off as a big jerk uh, but it's just me trying to get to the root cause of issues because I, to me I think that's how we solve problems right because there is an issue out there you know I have daughters and, and I'm, I'm terrified that they won't get a fair shake and I have tried and probably don't 
do as good of a job as I should uh, and making sure they are empowered the way they should be. Where I struggle is I want them to feel empowered, but I don't want them to degrade to do it. Does that make sense? So, you know, for example, my, my belief, let's get right to a controversial topic right now. I, I believe feminism is a great thing, right? Because I do have three dollars. However, I don't think feminism is what it once was. Um, to me, there's this underlying tone out there where we do need to escalate these issues with women and inequality. I, I truly believe that. And we need to bring these issues to light and find a way to solve them. However, I, I think, is there this underlying tone out there where we have to de demasculize men? in order to make women equal. I no, but see, that's not what feminism is about. Feminism is about ensuring that there's equal opportunity for men and women. So, that, I mean, that's really all feminism is about. Do you believe that women should be available, have the same opportunities available to them that men should? Okay, Absolutely. if you believe that, and especially if you have daughters, then great. So whatever people are stuck on this sort of, stereotype or bias that they have in their mind with the word feminism. I mean, I right. know people who absolutely believe that women should, you know, deserve to be paid the same amount for the same skill set as men. Okay, great. But they would say, but I'm not a feminist, you know, and it, <laughs> whatever the label is like an equalist, a feminist, a, you know, right. whatever you want to call it. I understand that the word feminism has sort of a negative connotation. However, I would love to sort of redefine that because why well, get stuck on a word? Why not talk about, you know, the, exactly. the what does it mean? Yes, absolutely. So Robin, you made your, you know, your, your passion, your livelihood, um, which I think is what everyone should do. I was having a conversation with someone the other day about where they are at in their life and what they do for work and uh, what do they really want to do. Right. Um, and as we talked, this person started to talk about their personal issues and how it affected their life and how some of their issues and challenges they face really have been hard to overcome and manage, but they have, but they've done it. Right. So they also mentioned how there is so many other people out there facing similar issues and, and I'm not going to dive into what it is specifically, but, uh, those individuals need to have more expertise and there's a demand in this field that she was discussing. And I quickly looked at them and I said, well, why don't you do that? So I think my point is, Robin, when and what made you decide to do what you're doing and what advice can you give to people, especially women, to follow their passion and their career at the same time? Well, I think I've cared about sort of just equal opportunity for um, in terms of men and women for as long as I can remember. I mean, I, I literally remember my father saying to my brother, my older brother, all right, if you want to go duck hunting, then you have to be ready at 6.30. And they made this arrangement, and I looked at him, and I said, well, what about me? And, and, I, and he just looked at me and said, do you want to go? I mean, I was probably three years old. And I said, well, of course. You know, and so, I mean, from that, it, it happened so early for me that it was like, wait, well, how come just because I'm a girl means I can't go with my dad and my brother? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it happened again when I was 10 years old. My father... I asked him why I couldn't go on the father-son rafting trip. And next thing I know, he's on the phone. He says, I'm bringing my daughter on the father-son rafting trip. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've always sort of just, it's, it's ingrained in me. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's in my blood. But um, filmmaking is fairly new to me. I have my MBA. I worked in the stock market for a couple of years. I then, really? uh, yeah. And then I, I, I so how, did you make, how did you make that change? I mean, go from the stock market to filmmaking. 
so I was I was living in in Europe in Luxembourg um, after I got out of of grad school and um, I eventually moved home uh, to get married and moved home to California to get married and I was married to a very traditional man who did not really you know my waking up at 3 a.m. to be in the stock market in California didn't really fit into his plan sort of a the, of the type of you know, wife and mother that he expected or wanted. So I gave up the stock market. I gave up that business and um, and became a professional photographer and and really, you know, mainly a full time mom. Um, but it always just, uh, I it was funny. I'm so grateful to have spent that time raising my kids, but I would be dishonest if I didn't admit that I really missed not keeping some foot in the corporate world because yeah. I felt like I, I felt like I gave up a lot. I felt like the fact that I wasn't bringing in substantial money made me have not as much kind of partnership clout in the marriage, to be really honest. Um, I felt like I wasn't the one that was able to make decisions about what we spent money on and stuff because, you know, I didn't, I wasn't the one bringing in significant money. So um, I felt like I gave up a lot, but I, I, I really want to say again, I, I feel privileged to have been able to be, you know, with my, right. with my, kids. um, but I always knew that I, you know, someday I'd, I'd want to jump back in somehow and do something. And I never thought I'd be a filmmaker, but I was a photographer for so many years. Um, I remember seeing a documentary film sometime when I was in my thirties and it just, hit me and I had that feeling. It was kind of like FOMO. It's like, Oh my God, I'm missing out. I right? need to be a like, I have to be a filmmaker. Why don't, I, I unfortunately had that in college <laughs> and my grades show that. So, <laughs> so yeah. So I finally had that opportunity. It's, you know, I think a how'd lot you get of the opportunity. I mean, what did you do? I mean, you just said, Hey, that's it. I'm going to go do this. And you just jumped in no, and did it. I mean, no, I mean, well, first of all, I think a lot of us have this sort of this thing where they say, you know, someday, okay, someday mm-hmm. I'm going to be a filmmaker. Someday I'm going to start my own business. Someday I'm going to, you know, invest in real estate, whatever. But it's, it's when do you take that someday and actually move on it? You know, someday I'm going to run a marathon. It's like, okay, the minute you say you're going to do it, then you're committed. Um, I had an opportunity because uh, my daughter was on a cross country team in high school and there had been incident where the, her coach um, was suffering from ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease and Nike happened to be filming their um, state championship for division five girls cross country. And it was just this, this pretty unbelievable, remarkable thing happened and, and it went viral on the internet. Right. And so a documentary team came to me and said, Hey, we want to make this film. We know your daughter's involved. And I felt like, wow, this, this is, must be the opportunity I have to jump in. Number right. one, protect my daughter and make sure I know how she's being personified in the film. But two, um, you know, wow, this is kind of cool. I can learn how to make a documentary film. In the end, I mean, I ended up taking that project over and, and, and um, you know, becoming director and, and producer on it. And I certainly had a lot of help making that film. But uh, it was like going through film school, you know, uh, in a year and a half, it just when you jump in on a project that you don't, you know, don't know much about, but I was really uh, fortunate to have learned from a lot of really gracious individuals in the San Francisco documentary film community um, who guided me and educated me. And uh, yeah, that was my first project. It was tough. Glad to have that one behind me. 
Yeah. So how long have you been doing it then? I mean, how long did it take you to like really say, okay, this is, this is it. This is what I'm meant to do. Um, well that, so that, that first film took about two and a half years to Mm -hmm. complete. Um, and then I jumped and, and that was 20, I completed that in 2013. So I started in 2011. Um, and I, you know, I feel like as soon as I finished that first film, I wanted to jump in and start another one. And this time I knew a couple things. One thing that I'd really learned was that I wanted to be director. I wanted to be in charge. Um, I Have wanted you always to... been that way? Sorry? Have you always been that way? You want to be in charge? You're like one of those individuals that just, man, there's a project or there's a team, man, you got to be, be up the front or not? Maybe. I mean, I, I would say that I'm an um, introverted extrovert. <laughs> so I think I you really are the same. Like... I'm the same way. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really need my, but yeah, I think ultimately here's the thing. I depend a lot on a team. I really Mm -hmm. do. I collaborate. I'm a big collaborator. I really value different perspectives and um, what different people bring to the table. But ultimately if it's, if I'm the one responsible for the project, if my name's on it in the end, yeah, I want to be director. Yeah. That's awesome. So I was watching your TEDx talk on the likability dilemma for women leaders. And at the very beginning of the talk, you talk about how men and women have described you uh, as intense, high octane, aggressive, and how those words don't feel like they're complimentary to you. And then you say you try to control your eagerness uh, and be softer, and it's, it's exhausting to you to do that. And I'm a firm believer you should be you. And F those who don't like it, and there are people who will not like eager, aggressive leaders because they're not, in my opinion, they're just not those types. And I've worked for both men and women, and I can tell you, you know, I stray away from not those people who are described by those words, but I do stray away from leaders who lead with a chip on their shoulder. My question to you, because I don't think that's what this is about, but my question is, why do you think it is bad? Or, I mean, why do you control yourself when it comes to the, those type of uh, behaviors or when people describe you that way? Because I'm aware of how being a woman, um, that those characteristics, I'm aware of how they rub people. Yeah. And, and as a man, you don't have to worry about that because if you come across as people don't judge men with the same scope, with the same sort of view on things. Right. A man, if, if you look at a man being incredibly decisive, competent, assertive, strong, those are all words that we associate with male leadership. And so, you know, if, if a man is is sort of dominant and decisive, that's good. And both women and men feel like that is appropriate behavior and they're not offended by it. If anything, it's like, well, good. Okay. But when a woman acts that way, both women and men react to it. Suddenly it's like, whoa, she's tough. Whoa, she's a, you know, yeah. So she might be deemed as competent, but she's not going to necessarily be deemed as likable. And so whether I knew that implicitly, you know, when I was growing up, I don't think I did. I think what I just realized was that, you know, um, I in in some incidences, I would have better success if I maybe came across as a little more deferential and helpful and, you know, less assertive. And it's, that's not my normal character, you know, not, right. not to say that I, so I have incredible empathy, 
I have high emotional intelligence. Um, and sometimes that makes it almost harder because I can really see, I can, I can really feel how people are reacting to me. And so I have, I have really tried hard at times, uh, especially if I'm with a, a group of men to sort of just, you know, back off a little bit. And as but I, I think get, that's sad. Well, I because do. I because because I walk into businesses right, and and I've worked with leaders, and I've had male bosses and female bosses, and I, I sat there and looked. I go, who are your two favorite bosses you ever had? And it came, and one was a man, one was a woman, both of them, right? And I would say they're both intense, aggressive people. And then I said, okay, who are the two individuals you didn't like the most? And I thought about it, and it was a man and a woman, and they weren't really int- they were intense and aggressive, but they they had a chip on their shoulder. What I said earlier. Does that make sense? And I think that's where I'm like, uh. but it didn't really matter to me. It was a man or a woman. They were both, you know, and actually the guy, I, hate, I didn't like him at all. Um, <laughs> but it's just, so I, I think it's kind of sad. And as we evolve that we shouldn't have to pull back. Cause I think being an intense and aggressive and decisive, whether you're a man or a woman in a leadership role. And if that's how women think, and that's how, that's how you said you're thinking, right? I think that's really disappointing because yeah, I think, well, I think because to me, who's someone who's looking at these individuals, looking to be leaders, I might pass on you because I'm like, well, you know, she's nice and likable, but can she lead? Because I'm looking right. for that, right? So that's the dilemma that you have is what do you, you know, what do you do? It's, that's really tough. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, but I, I think I think that it's um, I think when you're in your 20s, women care. A, Look, there are some women that just don't care. They don't care what people think of them. And kudos to them if they, you know, if they can can move forward and be really strong, effective women in society, women in in business. You know, that's awesome because that's almost the kind of, you know, tough skin that you need to have to get ahead as a woman in in the business world. Um, I think that. <laughs> It's tough because now as a 56-year-old woman, I would say, and I do say all the time, forget likability. Concentrate on being a compassionate, empathetic, effective leader. Like that's the important thing to do right now. Mm-hmm. But that's easy for me to say at my age than it was much easier than it would have been for me to say that when I'm 20 or 22 and trying to climb that corporate ladder. And I know that if there are women listening to this, I know there are women out there that have felt what it's like um, when their bosses that have said to them, hey, you know, can you just maybe kind of tone it down a bit? Or, hey, you know, sometimes you come across as a little bit, you know, gruff or a little strong. And and yet, you know, it's very, very rare that that type of feedback is given to men in business. So let's discuss the competence slash likability dilemma. And this basically means that women, unlike men, are not perceived as both competent and likable. Now, I think this is fascinating because I also believe this has been very politicized. And you say that most of us men and women don't like strong, competent women um, or don't find them easy to like. Can you give me an example of this and why you believe this to be true? I mean, more specifically, can you discuss... What I want to get into is what we were talking about, this competence likability dilemma, the Howard Hyde case study. Tell me a little bit more about... Uh, Howard Heidi is a Heidi. Yeah. So in 2003, a professor named Professor Flynn, um, F-L-Y-N-N, at Columbia Business School, conducted this fascinating experiment where he took 
um, Heidi Roizen, who's a real woman in venture capital, and they took a case study about her that had already been written, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she at the time was one of very few female venture capitalists that's been as successful as she is. So they took this case study that was already written, and they went through and changed her name from Heidi to Howard. And then they changed, you know, the gender, of course, in the, in the, anytime they said she, they changed it to he. And I think there was something in the case study that said that she had been a cheerleader and they, they changed that to say that he was like on the football team. Okay. So now you have two case studies, one Heidi Roizen and one Howard Roizen, Mm. but they're both exactly the same except for the names. Professor Flynn gave it to two different uh, sections of his business class. And he said, rate, read the business, read this case study and rate them on how competent they are and how likable, how competent he or she is and how likable he or she is. And so both male and female students came back in and considered Heidi and Howard to be equally competent. But the students found Heidi to be less likable. And this is because Heidi came across as too aggressive, too out for herself, right? Neither the male nor female students wanted to hire or work for Heidi, but they both thought Howard would make a great colleague. So how else do you explain that other than this unconscious bias by knowing that Heidi's a woman and it's like, whoa, you know, she's pretty confident Mm -hmm. in herself. Wow, she's kind of coming out as like, she's, she's pretty tough. Whereas with, for, as a man with Howard, they expect that type of behavior or that type of maybe bravado or that type of, you know, those sort of types of personality right. that came across in this um, case study. They expect that from a man. And, you know, in society, women tend to be penalized when they behave in ways that that violate these gender stereotypes or gender norms. Very interesting. That's and just by just by the change of the name, Howard and Heidi. That's yeah. Triple, wow. That, that's it. Just oh. that. It's well, fascinating. Very fascinating. <laughs> well, you also discuss that society or the business world do not believe that women are, or who are inquisitive, are not admire. It's not an admirable trait. You know, I've seen this firsthand, and I'm going to give you an example. I was with some client uh, employees, and we were doing some problem solving, and I think we were actually going around doing a uh, a bubble chart, right? Um, and I had done I'd done quite a bit of research on the employees and their talents and their competencies, et cetera. And I noticed there was this one employee that I th- felt was very intelligent, very competent. Yet when we were in this meeting, where I was going around the room asking each one of them, because I kind of do a bottom-up approach when it comes to management, right? Um, and problem solving. And I asked each one of them, you know, what are five things that they can think of that would make their job or department run more efficiently and profitable? And, and the answer I got from her when it came to her term, she says, Kirby, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I was like really set back because I, I, I knew this person's background and I, I, and I knew she was very intelligent. I rejected her answer and I, and I discussed with her privately of what what a talent she was to the organization. And she, and, and that's based on, you know, again, what I said, what I felt, what of her competencies and abilities that I needed her to see her step up and, and be a leader. And what I quickly learned and already knew and thought was that the organization was run and the culture was established by a very top-down, very uh, degrading, individual, old-school approach. Uh, and long story short is she just thrived and excelled very quickly when those chains were just lifted. And I believe she felt, in my mind, she was not going to be punished for her ideas. 
and will you know and rather reward it whereas prior to this that's not the case do you see this type of behavior often and and, and to me did i approach it correctly because i and how do you approach this or how would you approach this yeah i mean i think it's hard for me to comment on that having not been there because you know and hearing your side of the story as opposed to hers but i i think that um there are a lot of things that happen to women in meetings and you know if she said to you like just tell me what you want me to do if she, said, if she said it that way, it, 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 to me, having not been there, but to me, it sounds like she was saying, nobody seems to be responding to my suggestions of what we do. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. likely to only be happy with what you want done. So I've tried showing, telling you what I want to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. You know, it sounds like she had a foot out the door. <laughs> honestly, right, yeah. that she knew that she knew that you know she wasn't she wasn't going to get anywhere. That that her um, you know she wasn't going to get anywhere, and that her uh, suggestions weren't being heard. I mean, that things happen. Uh, talk about I mean unconscious bias. Next time any you know you or any of your listeners are in a meeting. I mean, this doesn't happen as much now because we're working from home. But if you happen to be on a you know, a Zoom or a WebEx or something within that there's a meeting, see how often women are interrupted. And you'd be surprised if you really sort of step back and listen and watch how often that happens or how often a woman might, might make a suggestion and nobody really reacts. And then that same idea is picked up by a man and how people react to that. And, and I'm just telling you, there are studies that are done that show how common this is. Hmm. And if there are women listeners, they are nodding their heads right now because it's all happened to them. Now, here's what I want to make sure that you understand. These are, it could, this can happen from very well-intended men, very well-intended men could be stepping over women all the time without noticing it. Right. And maybe it's even because they're enthusiastic. So you know, Sarah's in the middle of explaining her idea and John thinks it's such a great idea that he just jumps in thinking he's supporting her, but he kind of just takes it over. So, you know, these are just, these are dynamics that happen all the time. And it takes, it takes bringing this to somebody's attention um, to really try to stop it. And again, I want to, I want to stress that not always, but in most cases it happens from very well-intended people. Yeah. Here, here's another here's another example. Let's just say that there's a promotion that needs to happen within your company, okay? And everyone knows that Sarah is the next obvious choice. But in that decision-making group, there are you know three men and maybe one woman. And everybody says, yeah, you know, God, Sarah is she would be so awesome at that job. We really that she's the one that should should move up to that position. Well, but you know what? Her husband just took a new job and she's got two young kids at home or her husband travels all the time. Oh, yeah, you're right. That would be really much too much work for Sarah. That'd be too hard on her. Okay. well, what about Michael? Maybe Michael should take the job. So right then and there in that situation, everybody felt like they were doing Sarah a favor. Everybody felt like they were being considerate and conscientious of her. But nobody went to Sarah and said, what do you want to do? Right. So intentions were good, but chances are those type of decisions are never done. If Sarah had been a man in that situation, they would have just said, well, let's let's find out if he wants the job. 
you're making me think and absolutely you're making me think a lot of my past behaviors you know whether like you said it's, it's unconscious maybe I have not done as well the job as I thought I have uh, even in that example again and I wasn't with that company I was new to that company I was a consultant and so it was relatively new but I think a lot of her feelings were because maybe exactly how you said that no one really listened before um, that's just interesting so uh, one of the most fascinating topics I think you bring to light is your example, and this is, I think this is in the, the TED Talk as well, of uh, asking a gentleman about what he does for a living. You remember <laughs> that part, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He answers you with fintech, and you follow up with the question, well, what type? And he responds to you, it's complicated. Yikes, right? This happens, <laughs> this happens all the time, by the way. I mean, this is, this is not something that um, – this has happened more than once. I was – just the other day, um, I'm, I was outside taking a walk, and I ran into a friend, and she was with her new boyfriend, and and um, I was talking, and asked him what he did, and he said, "Oh, I, I teach," and I said, "Oh, that's right, you teach you teach Stanford, don't you?" And he said, "Yeah," and I said, "Um, I said, what do, what do you teach?" And he sort of looked at his girlfriend, so sort of a little bit of an inside joke, and sort of laughed, and he just said English. And I said, you, you teach English? And I, he didn't answer. He goes, yeah. And I said, I, I'm missing the joke. What, 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 why can't you just tell me what, what you teach? Right. Well, actually, I teach chemistry, molecular oh. biology and chemistry. And I was so put off. And, I, and I, in fact, I thought to myself, okay, go easy, Robin. Go easy. Like, don't jump all down this guy's, you know, because I was so ready to just pounce on him. But I said to him, why is it difficult to, for you to tell me that you teach molecular biology, you know, like, or chemistry, whatever it was. I said, why do you think that I don't have the capacity to understand what that is? Do you think that would be intimidating to me? Do you like, it's almost like false modesty. And I think right. that's what drives me so crazy. But I, here's the thing. Had I been a man, would he have just said, I teach chemistry at Stanford. Right. Like, I can't imagine. And in the case that you brought up when I was at this cocktail party and I said, oh, so what do you do? And he said, I'm in fintech. Well, you know, I happen to have made a film about, I'm making a film now about finance. And I, right. you know, made a film years ago about, about the tech industry. So I was interested, you know, I was interested. I said to him, well, what, what type, what type of fintech? Oh, you know, it, it's complicated. I guarantee you if I had been a man, he would have just gone into it and, and you know, oh, it's financing for, you know, or what, whatever it was. But it, it, it's fascinating. He kind of just made this assumption maybe that because I'm a woman, I either wouldn't understand or I would, didn't want the long explanation. I don't know. But I just I, I think it's a really bad habit because if I ask the question, I'd like the answer. Right. I'm actually curious. And if I don't understand, I'm the first one to say, well, that I'm not sure. So wait, how does that work? Because I'm I'm curious. I want to learn. Right. Well, let me ask you this. I want to take a little bit step further. And, you know, hopefully I, I don't offend anybody with this. And I hope I don't offend you with you. How much do you think it was or could have been that you're an attractive woman? asking that question and to follow up, you know, to that, do you feel it? I mean, the follow up to that is, do you feel attractive women based on society are not viewed as competent as their male counterparts who are attractive 
are viewed as more competent. Is that is that is that a bias that's out there? Uh, well, uh, I don't know. I mean, first of all, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So if one person right. finds well, based on what society like says is beautiful or an attractive person, right? I mean, it, okay, well, attractive men. Um, <laughs> or aren't, aren't, what I'm trying to say is attractive men, I, th- I think, it, here's what I think, I think attractive men, women, sometimes, maybe this, you know, jerk, uh, thought the same thing, is that you're less competent, not just because you're a woman, but you're an attractive woman, right? As where it would be an attractive man is seen as a very great leadership quality. I think there's a huge bias in that, in my opinion. Am, am I wrong? Well, no, I think probably the fact that I'm blonde, yes. I mean, you know, there are lots of stereotypes about blonde. Like, could she really be smart? She's blonde. Um, But I I think that what's interesting is that, like, if you were to take politics, for example, I think clearly um, both men and women who say, as if society deems them to be, you know, attractive, um, clearly that's a benefit if you're out there in the public eye, like we, right. you know, running for politics or something. I mean, everybody knows that bias and perception is huge. You know, you see somebody, you think they're attractive and then you, you want to like them. So I think that that's a real thing. And I think that enters into politics, you know, a lot more for women than men. And there've been studies done that show that, you know, um, women who are, I mean, you know, men who are attractive, but you know, this is what I was going to say. This is what's interesting to me. Comments about when you have a leader, a female or a male leader or a, a female or male politician, comments are made on social media, even in mm-hmm. you know, news articles and writing often about a woman's appearance in that case. So they'll talk about what, um, you know, uh, Angela Merkel is wearing, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And not so much about the policies or what's happening in Germany, but what, you know, what was she wearing? What did she look like? Whereas how often, honestly, do we ever read comments or criticism or critique about what a male politician right. looks like or is wearing? So there's definitely a bias there. And there's, and Unless it's you're not, orange, right? <laughs> yeah. <I'm> just... <laughs> You look like a man-o'-lantern. Yeah. Well, I don't know what that's about. Do you think it's, do you think it's a tanning bed? I have no idea. It's got to be. I wonder how many. I, I don't know. But uh, even then, I'm surprised that people don't talk as much about his appearance as people just sort of assume it. You know, you don't yeah. hear as much criticism of about, you know, you know, boy, if a woman's slightly overweight, you're going to hear about it. Somebody's going to make a caricature or something, right. you know. Look at, yeah. And I know we don't want to talk, I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about left or right, but I do think there is a bias too in how women are portrayed, whether you're conservative or liberal, right? Um, You know, for example, I'm going to give two examples, and I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to get into policies at all. That's not what this show is about. But if I were to take two women politicians, like Ivanka Trump, right, and Hillary Clinton, and I would say when people describe Ivanka who don't agree with her policies, refer to her as you right she's blonde she's a ditch she's a blonde bimbo pretty face i see that all the time out there right and hillary um if you ask a lot of people on the conservative side she's described as shrewd nasty evil you know like you even said on your show (laughs) their voice is shrill right yeah i deeply regret that when in reality if you strip down their beliefs and their physical identities both these women are very competent and very intelligent as individuals so why do we do this as a society and categorize women in such a way? 
even when it especially in politics i think it's i think it's just because you don't do that with men no that's right and that's because women these are these are in some way or another they're they're female leaders right and i think i mean we definitely saw this in the case of hillary clinton she i mean even my mother said oh i just can't vote for hillary and i said why well because her she just drives me crazy her voice is so <laughs> and i thought that is so crazy because guess what i mean what's important are policies what are it was important are issues and you know i mean I'm wondering, did she have the same feeling? I'm like, I just cannot vote for a president that has a comb over, you know, I right. mean, or orange. that has orange skin, you know, I, I mean, I find that, but those aren't, obviously those aren't the facts that matter when it comes to leadership. Right. But it's just the way that we perceive men and women differently. Yeah. And we are, we are far more used to, criticizing, you know, a woman. this happens, there have been really fascinating studies about um, women during times of review and managers writing reviews and how often the review when it comes to a woman has to do with personality versus has to do with what she, you know, affect her effectiveness as a leader. And in, a, in men's reviews, they talk about what he did or didn't do that worked as a job, but very, very rare was it, you know, anything having to do with their personality. Yeah. So it's, you know, we as a society expect, and I'm going to go back to this again, but we really expect women to be kind and nurturing and helpful, supportive, differential. That's when we're comfortable when women stay in that and we all do women and men feel comfortable with women like that. Yeah, but the yeah. minute that we get into that assertive, decisive, competitive, you know, strong role, it's like, whoa, we're beginning to, you know, violate gender norms. And the sad part of that in terms of women in leadership is that gender norms, you know, when the qualities that women that anybody needs to be an effective leader go against societal norms of what it is to be a likable woman. I'm going to touch on another subject here, and I think this one's because it's out there. It's the pay gap, right? And how studies show women are not as you know, not as good as negotiating for themselves than men. And in my career, and all the people I've hired, that is, you know, I would say absolutely 100% true. And I've hired hundreds and hundreds of employees. And I could probably tell you, out of 70% of them, the men I made offers to, I always received counteroffers to. Always. And what's really shocking to me is that when it comes to the women I've hired, I would say less than 10% have counteroffered. Yeah. Okay. So, so why is this? Because that, that fascinates me. Yeah. But the very important thing that, that I need to, to make sure that you understand, and that is that women are as good at negotiating. They're just not as successful at negotiating for themselves as men are, right? So women outperform men when they negotiate on behalf of someone else. Right. Because what? when so we're negotiating on behalf of someone else, we are being what? We're being supportive. We're being helpful. Yeah. But if we negotiate on behalf of ourselves, we are suddenly like, wow, she's pretty confident. Wow, she's 
she's pretty sure of herself, which are not attractive qualities in women, not perceived to be attractive qualities in women, right? So, so when women negotiate for themselves, we're perceived to be selfish, but when we negotiate on behalf of someone else, then we're being helpful. Crazy, how right? Do, how do you overcome this? Right? Because when I go and make an offer to somebody, I expect, I don't care whether it's a man or a woman, I mean, in my mind, they're, they're going to counter. But a lot of times it doesn't happen when, with women. It just doesn't. I don't know why. You know? Yeah. And so how do you overcome this? And so, I mean, so, I, and that's not the only reason there's a pay gap. I don't want, I don't want people to think that because, well, that's the only reason there is. No, I, you know, I do believe there's unfair hiring practices out there and, and there are people, you know. It, but it, it does contribute to the pay gap. It does contribute to the pay gap for certain because women don't ask for raises as often as men do. And that goes to the confidence, um, you know, gap as well. Women don't always feel um, as confident that they're, you know, that they deserve that raise as much as a man might. So um, interesting study that was doing a, done, I think, by McKenzie that showed if there are 10 qualifications for a job, if a man has six out of 10, he will apply for that job with confidence and truly believe that he has a really strong chance of getting that job. A woman will look at 10 qualifications, and even if she has all 10, she will maybe apply for that job with less confidence that she's actually going to get it. So there's just a difference. And, you know, you can talk about how this stems from testosterone levels or whatever, but there's just some fundamental differences with, you know, women and men, the way we actually approach things. And so, you know, two things. One, if you're a manager, understand how women, especially with self-evaluations, how a woman might not brag about herself the way a man might when they're doing self-evaluations, right? A man's self-evaluation might come across as much more glowing than a woman's for two reasons. One, a woman might innately not have as much confidence, but more likely she knows and she has learned how people react to her when she does come across with what might be perceived as too much confidence, So what this means is that if you really want women to move up in your company, that managers need to be trained and need to be aware of this, and they need to go to the women and say, I know you're ready for this promotion. I think you can do this. I want you to apply for this. That's the step up and the hand up that they need. So that's our solution? Is this how we, you know, solve this dilemma of bias? Yeah, I mean, no. We've got a lot of work to do to try to... I think my number one, my number one, um, how do we do it? I think we need to look inward and stop, not just look at ourselves as the victims of bias. We need to consider that we perhaps are perpetrators as well. So we need to stop and consider what implicit biases we have that might be, you know, impacting your team or your friend group or your, the way you're raising your daughters. Mm-hmm. right? The way you're raising your sons. So I think that slowing down, anytime you make a snap decision, stop for a second and think about whether that decision or whether that snap judgment was based on facts that really matter. Does that person bug me because they remind me of an ex-girlfriend or my ex-wife <laughs> or, 
or do they bug me for, you know, do they bug me for reasons that really matter? Do they bother me right. because I felt like they were being dishonest? Okay, that's something you might want to listen to. But we really have to stop. Here's the other fascinating thing. And I think I said this at the top of the show, but we, just like you can't do two math problems in your head at once, we do not have the ability to see our own unconscious biases, um, implicit biases. And that's why they're called unconscious or implicit. We cannot see them and we do not know when we're being biased or when we're letting our, um, you know, judgments and reactions be, you know, come from, from right, bias. Right. We can see it really e easily in other people, though. It's super easy to see it in other people. So that's why we need to build a team that is able to say, hey, Robin, you know what? I think maybe you're being a little unfair on that person. They actually do seem qualified. I know. I know he kind of looks like your ex-husband, but. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I might be in trouble on that one. <laughs> So, I mean, that type of thing is really, it's, it's really, it's the most important thing. And it's the most important reason that we need to hire diverse teams and we need to really weigh in a lot of people's opinions. And it is not the fastest way to solve a problem, but it's the most effective. Yes, I agree. I am all about that. Absolutely. So before we wrap up the show, you're a documentary filmmaker whose films have been screened at the White House, which is such a cool and awesome honor. Your current project is Savvy, a film about women and financial wellness. And our listeners can go out to SavvyFilm.com to find out more about this project and you. But tell me about this film. What's it about and what it means to you? Yeah, so Savvy stems from a real personal um, sort of experience and journey that I've had when I did um, become single again at age 50. And um, I had sort of, I'd say, delegated or just... Yeah, someone delegated any responsibilities of personal finance um, to my husband during my married years. And that's not necessarily because I wasn't interested. I mean, I did keep it my own bank account and I, and I was, you know, obviously responsible for that. But um, it became pretty clear to me early on that the relationship was going to work best if he felt like he was in control of the finances. And in all fairness, he was the one that brought in the you know vast majority of, of funds. Um, but when we got divorced, we were in a much different financial situation than I ever knew that we were in. And I blame that on myself. You know, I'm a smart woman. I have my MBA. I, I understand finances. And yet um, I really took my eye off it and I didn't insist on understanding exactly where we were you know, as a family, as a couple, et cetera. And we ended up, right. you know, th there was a lot more debt than I thought. So I, I started doing a little, I felt so ashamed and I started talking to some friends and I was blown away by my number of, of friends who were married, who, you know, completely abdicate financial decision-making to, you know, their husbands. And these are even people who have really good relationships with their husbands. Uh, you know, what if something happens? What if they die? What, you know, suddenly, what if, I mean, do you even know who runs, who holds your mortgage? Do you know anything about investing? Do you know, you know, these are important things. So I, I became interested in this. And I did some research and I found out that it's not just because I'm like, you know, 56 years old, millennials, there's a higher percentage of millennials that are not taking an active role in personal finance than there are even of baby boomers. So this is a trend that is not going away. It's getting worse. And that was really alarming to me. So anyway, Savvy Documentary is about how important it is for 
women to have to one understand and manage personal finances, but two, how to communicate with their partner, whether you're in a same sex marriage, whether you're in, you know, just cohabitating or, or whether you're in a traditional marriage, um, you know, how important it is to have these sort of money discussions and to understand things like understand, you know, credit scores and understand, you know, why it's important to contribute to a 401k women, the percentage of women that live in poverty in retirement, um, is exponential con, con, you know, in, in terms of, um, women versus men and women live longer than men on an average seven years. So eight out of 10 women at some point in their lives will be the solely responsible for their financial well-being. And if you don't know how to do that, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. You know, and I, and I will say in my relationship, we had this, we had this issue come up in my marriage. Um, my wife at the time was a stay at home mom and I just handled all the finances just because I don't think I, maybe I unconsciously did it. I don't know. I look back on it because it was a big issue. Right. And she felt, and she brought it to my attention. She, and she held it in for a long time, which is sad that she felt like she had to hold it in that I was controlling everything in my mind. I wasn't controlling stuff. I was trying to alleviate what I felt was stress because in my mind, I thought, well, you know, my mind, she was a stay-at-home mom. That's a freaking hard job. And now that I've worked at home and I have the kids, like, holy shit, this is really hard. Um, so, but I wasn't. I think I, I consciously was being controlling. And, you know, and, and so there was a lot of discussion and, and, you know, therapy to discuss through that. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it to be mean. I'm not a mean guy. So, you know, we, we, we resolved that since. But it is, again, it's going back to, uh, like, this whole show has been about unconscious bias, Right. And sometimes we do stuff. It doesn't mean we're mean people. It's just it, <laughs> sometimes even our good intentions can be, you know, have bad results, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I think the important thing is um, it is just trying to be open and, and mm-hmm. aware and self-reflection, I think, is, is self-awareness. I think it's huge. Absolutely. Uh, and then social awareness is also important. So not just knowing about you know, your own, um, behavior, but also how your behavior might, you know, pay attention to how that might land on society and on people around you. And I think that's incredibly, um, incredibly important. Um, I heard an interesting comment on a panel that I was on earlier this morning that I loved. And someone said the opposite of judgment is curiosity. And I thought that is really Hmm. so brilliant because it's true. We all, everybody judges. If you're human, you're going to judge. Oh, and it's so much easier to judge today, right? Everyone's a keyboard warrior. The first one to point out everybody that does anything wrong. It's, yeah. So, yeah. So, okay. So what's the opposite of judging? You know, it's, it's not, not judging. It's probably trying to be curious mm-hmm. and to really understand why somebody's coming from the perspective or the point of view that they're coming from. Um, and I think that that takes a lot of empathy, but that might be the key. That might be what we all need a little bit more of. I think we need a lot more of that, <laughs> a lot more of that. Uh, Cause that is unfortunate. I think we are, I, for whatever reason, and maybe it's just, you know, who's around us at this time as far as leadership. And I'm not, again, I'm going to get politics, but it just seems like we are painting everybody with black and white brushes and that's it. And I'm not one of those individuals. I like, I like to dive in. I like to ask questions. I like to dig. And you know, 
and for women, as you said, that's 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 a big negative. But I I get a lot of flack on that when I start digging, and people don't like that. They, they think you are combative. Well, I'm just trying to learn, and I'm trying to you know maybe sometimes I am trying to like pull out their mm-hmm. bias, right? You, maybe you're you've got a bias against this, and you're not looking at this as clearly as you should be. So, but as you said, individually you can't do it. It needs to be done as a team if you want to be productive. Correct. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. that, well, I think we just need to, you know, the more the more uh, diverse perspectives we incorporate into any decision making, uh, the better off our decision is going to be. Well, this has been, I would say, one of the more sensitive topics we've ever discussed on the show. And I mean, I'm extremely humbled to have an expert like you on here discuss, you know, to discuss such an important issue and why it may be a little bit controversial. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we both handled this absolutely well. I hopefully I did and I didn't offend anybody. I truly believe, you know, again, we, we both do this with a lot of respect and factual dialogue, which we need more of. Uh, and I truly appreciate your time and thrilled, absolutely thrilled that you decided to come on the show today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself in today's discussion. Um, and I hope we can have you back because I mean, we're, we're at an hour already. I'm thinking, gosh, we could just keep going and keep going and keep <laughs> going. And I would love to strike up a relationship, you know, where I can learn more from you about this topic and help, you know, the way I handle my business and I handle, you know, consulting individuals and their issues and try and resolve their problems. Again, I'm truly humbled by you being on here and I've learned a lot. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure, and um, I hope it's all well received with your from your audience. And, and hey, and just so you know, um, I do have a few small roles in films and TV. So if you ever need a, a bearded actor, l- let me know. So you're a pushy little bastard, ain't you? Okay, <laughs> I have yet to move into the um, you know the narrative world, but when I do, uh, I. I keep <laughs> Well, you know, I haven't done much there. I'm just, I've been a couple of extras, so <laughs> if you just need me to stand there, I'll do that. I'm pretty good at that. So, is there anything else, Robin? Before we sign no. off, is there anything else you want to plug today uh, oh, that we've not mentioned, but maybe we should have? No, I mean, you can. I think you told people where they can find um, bias documentary, right? So, yeah. I think I think we're good. Thanks so much. I oh. appreciate it. Again, thank you for being on the hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast. Adieu, adieu. Parting is such sweet sorrow. As a reminder to our listeners, I want you to make sure I repeat where people can donate to my Real Men Wear Pink campaign to help fight breast cancer through the American Cancer Society. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, the beard, am a Real Men uh, Pink 2020 ambassador, and I'm raising funds. I have to raise $5,000 to be exact, which is, an, you know, we should be able to knock that out pretty easy. Uh, but I want to try to hit that goal as soon as possible. So hashtag biz with beard listeners. I need you right now to do a few things. I need all my listeners to go out to our podcast page at anchor.fm biz with beard and hit the listener support button. I'll be donating, like I said before, 100% of my proceeds uh, from that listener support button will go to the Real Men Wear Pink campaign and ACS. And if you want to donate directly to the campaign, all I have to do is go to my Real Men Wear Pink page through American Cancer Society and donate directly to the campaign. That address, again, is main.acsevents.org slash go to slash curfew. And lastly, we got some cool merchandise that's out there at my website at www.acsexec.com, where I'm going to be taking the gross profits uh, for that specific Real Men Wear Pink merchandise that's out there and giving that to the campaign as well. So, Robin, any final thoughts? Uh, I would say I just encourage everyone to slow down and, uh, you know, consider how your how your actions uh, are are contributing maybe to to bias. Great. 
great advice. Again, thank you for coming on the Hashtag Biz with the Beard podcast. Much love and success to you. I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the show at anchor.fm slash bizwiththebeard. Then share it with your friends on all your social media pages. And don't forget, while you're on Anchor, subscribing. If you want to feature your business by sponsoring a future episode or help support the show, all you have to do is hit listener support, and we can feature you or your business at the beginning of the show. You can also contact me directly to be title sponsors at curfew at acsexec.com. As always, I'm grateful for all of our listeners who tune in on all the amazing podcasts platforms that are out there such as apple google spotify iHeartRadio, pandora and many many more so that's it friends i know the show's in the books but never fear the beard will always be here until next time same beard time same beard channels thank you for listening to hashtag fizz with the beard remember every genius idea starts with the stroke of the beard have a successful day Hey, hashtag biz with beard and bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you were very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.